Hello, my friends. Great show today. Boy, we're talking to a great Canadian builder and thinker. I'm talking about my friend Candace Malcolm. You may know her as the founder of True North, which is one of the few independent media companies in Canada. So you're in for a treat. But hey, can I invite you to get the video version of this show? Uh, we, we do the show every weekday. You get the video version. And by the way, the eight bucks a month helps keep our lights on because like Candace and True North, we do not take any money from the government and it shows. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com and click subscribe. All right, here's our interview. Tonight, a one-on-one -on -one feature interview with Candace Malcolm, the founder of True North. It's November 7th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you sensorious bug. You could say we're competitors, and in a way we are, but I have to tell you that I regard True North more as friends than competitors, and of course, in the media ecosystem in Canada, there are so few independent journalists that well, I regard, regard them all as allies. We are so overwhelmingly outnumbered by government journalists, and I say government journalists not just refer, referring to the CBC, but of course... Much all of the print media in Canada is subsidized by Justin Trudeau. So whenever I see someone from True North or Western Standard Online, I go right over to them, and that is a friend of mine. And there is an outstanding innovator, founder, and entrepreneur in the independent media space. I'm talking about the founder of True North, our friend Candace Malcolm. What a pleasure to spend the next half hour talking with her. Candace Malcolm, great to have you back on the show. It's been far too long. Congratulations on everything True North has achieved. Well, thank you so much, Ezra. It's a pleasure to be here. Always great to talk to you. I can say the same thing about you and the, the thing that you've been able to build over at The Rebel. I have tremendous respect for you and the journalists over there, and it's always great to uh, be in a like-minded company. I, have, I haven't spoken to you at all since October 7th, and I don't know if you have family over in Israel, Ezra, but uh, you've been in our family's thoughts and prayers as well as uh, the entire Jewish community in Canada and in Israel. Well, you know, that's very touching of you to say that. I thank you for that. In fact, I do have a brother over there, and his two daughters are in the Israeli military, and it's pretty tense and pretty tough. Um, to be candid, I am more worried about life in Canada than I am worried about life in Israel. I think in Israel, at least they've come to terms for, for decades. They knew the threat, and I think they failed. They had an enormous military and intelligence failure on October 7th, but I think they grasped the nature of the problem. I think here on the home front in Canada, I'm actually more worried here because I don't think that our country, and certainly not our country's leaders, have grasped the challenge this same crisis poses to our, to our liberalism and our peacefulness in Canada. I'm worried more about Canada. What do you think? 
I've heard that from so many Jewish friends, Ezra, that basically they, they're just totally unprepared. They, they never thought anything like this uh, could happen. I'm, I'm not talking about the attack in Israel. I'm talking about the reaction in North America, the anti-Semitism that they face day in and day out. Uh, many of the people who thought that they had friends and allies on the political left and seeing the ugly face of anti-Semitism in their communities, in their neighborhoods, on, on social media, I, I think it's been a huge shock to many in the Jewish community. And frankly, uh, you know, as a non-Jew, uh, for, for me to see as well uh, how how quickly it took after October 7th, you know, uh, we hadn't even fully gotten an idea of the scope of what had, had happened, that truly horrendous attack. And we already had people defending, uh, retroactively uh, condemning Israel for any response that they may have, and basically saying, uh, justifying the attacks. Uh, it, it, we've seen some truly uh, horrific uh, despicable displays of anti-Semitism here in Canada. And, you know, if anything, it is a, a big wake-up call uh, of, of the problems that we face here in our communities in Canada. You know, I, I remember, especially those early days before Israel struck back at all, there was immediately protests or rallies or whatever you want to call them, demonstrations by the pro-Palestinian, some of them were simply pro-Hamas and they said so, they were jubilant, they were exuberant, they were exhilarated by the barbaric terrorism. And, and th this was not just shooting people. This was torture and, and rape and mutilation and kidnapping of babies. And I think that's what stunned me the most. And I, I, I think I'm a pretty cynical, wizened old man by now. But to see people jubilant at such... Stone Age cruelty. I know in advance, and I'm going to have a different opinion from people on what the two-state solution or this border or that border is. I, I grant that we'll have political differences, but I thought there was an underlying humanity and commonality to see people gloating and cheering barbarism and butchery. That's what caught me by surprise. That's what scared me the most. I know I'm going to disagree with people about politics, but I didn't think I would disagree with people about rape and torture. That shocked me, and I didn't think I was shockable. Well, and Ezra, think about it this way. You've been paying close attention to the political situation for your probably entire life, entire adult life. And, you, you know, you saw the barbarism. You know that the typical sort of pro-Hamas, uh, pro-Gaza response. You know, um, imagine a, t a typical Toronto Jew or Calgary Jew who might not really pay attention to politics and might see themselves on the political left and align themselves with a lot of the other uh, campus movements that have come up over the past decade. I, I, yeah, some of my friends I've talked to truly you know, feel what you feel. But to them, it was like completely shocked out of left field, can't believe it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that, that people are waking up uh, to the extreme threats. I mean, think of it this way. Do you remember in 2015, 2016, when we saw constant uh, attacks against civilians carried out by ISIS in Europe, uh, attacks on restaurants, attacks on parades, uh, children being murdered, that the, the response from the West was was rightly outraged and disgust. Uh, the, the, the opposition to ISIS in the West was pretty much unanimous, except for maybe in some very fringe, uh, ultra-radical Islamist circles. Uh, no one started talking about, well, let's look at the broader context of, of you know, the Iraq wars or or anything like that. It was, it was all just focused on the barbarism of the attacks and figuring out how can we 
you know, dismantle and destroy ISIS. Uh, so so it, it was a huge shock and surprise to see so many people on camp, college campuses, uh, politicians even, uh, trying to provide context and saying that we have to look at uh, the broader the, the, you know, the broader uh, conflict in Israel. It's like, well, yeah, sure, there's a lot of history. We can go back. We can go back to 1947. We can go back to 1917, the Balfour Declaration. We can go back 2,000 years and look at the history and and see all the nuance and all, all the context. But the reality was on October 7th, we saw a barbaric, gruesome attack against civilians. And and, and that is the beginning of the story. That's the beginning of this story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the beginning of the conflict. Uh, but, but we should look at the situation uh, that unfolded that Hamas attacked civilians during a ceasefire and figure out how uh, we can support Israel in in doing what they need to do to uh, secure their own survival and to protect their own civilians. You know, I I remember 9-11 very clearly. It was a momentous date in my life, as I think it was for, for anyone who was an adult back then. And for a brief moment, the entire world was united behind America. And I don't think I don't recall any college campus across America or Canada cheering the attackers. Uh, There there were some sporadic um, groups, as you mentioned, some extremist pockets. But you didn't see Harvard or Cornell or University of Toronto. You didn't see... I I don't think in Canada you saw... I mean, listen, the Muslim Canadian community was much smaller 20-odd years ago. But you didn't see rallies in support of Osama bin Laden. I just don't think you saw that, like you say, other than some very extremist quarters that were very small. And I I don't know. I I think it's not just people who have come to Canada from places where anti-Semitism and anti-Americanism are normal. I think the scariest thing for me is that old stock Canadians, if I can use that term, who go to these universities have the cultural Marxism matrix where they see the world as oppressor and oppressed, and they've decided that Israel is the oppressor here, and so they've excused any form of barbarism. I'm more scared about, you know, long-time Canadians going to university and turned into amoral justifiers of barbarism. I'm In some ways, I'm more scared of that than I am of someone who came here from Somalia or Afghanistan or Syria cheering that on. I don't know. I think it's a, a terrible and terrifying coalition. But what do, you, what do you make of those? Uh, do you think it's those two streams, people who have come here and haven't assimilated, but also people born and raised here who have been twisted by uh, a, Marxism, by wokeism to hate anything of the West. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think that's a pretty good analysis of, of what we're seeing and who we're seeing uh, out I- rallying in support. Is it's basically uh, a coalition of radical Islamists and people who just don't accept the West and and who have held on to perhaps held on to grievances uh, from from their homeland and they brought them here into Canada, which is a problem that I'm sure we'll discuss during this interview. Uh, and then you also have the uh, generation that's just been completely steeped in wokeism and this this is the the outcome of the diversity equity and inclusion um, mantras that 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 rule on college campuses and throughout our institutions uh, people look at the situation and they see uh, it, you know I think wrongly they think that Jews are the colonizers that Jews are, are white white supremacists that have somehow uh, you know taken over in the Middle East and that because they're rich and the Palestinians are poor you know forget about 
all the governance, all all the all the leadership. For, forget about all the details of the history. They just see it sort of black and white. You know, one side's rich, one side's poor, one side's white, one side's not. Although, you know, any of these arguments are, are completely uh, ridiculous and fall apart under uh, even the slightest bit of scrutiny. As I visited uh, Israel back in 2015, I visited uh, the West Bank and the Palestinian territories as well. And one of the things uh, that it, it, it immediately struck me uh, was that the Israelis, the Jews, uh, were, it was hard to distinguish them from the Arab Palestinians because they all look the same. They're all from the same parts of the world. So many of the people in Israel are actually displaced Jews from other Middle Eastern countries because uh, as many as a million Jews were expelled from Muslim countries uh, during the 20th century, something, uh, you know, an ethnic cleansing that we don't often hear about or talk about. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously the situation is so much more complex um, than the sort of slogans that we hear at these rallies. But I, I think you're right. I think that the most concerning part uh, about these rallies and about the public opinion polls we've seen is uh, the generation Gen Z, I guess you call them, uh, folks under 25 and how uh, the support sort of flips. Uh, the older the, the older that you are, uh, this is a poll in the United States, the older that you are, the more likely you are to support Israel and its right to defend itself. And the younger you are, especially that generation, sort of 18 to 25 year olds, uh, overwhelmingly support Hamas and 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 um, the Palestinian terror uh, against Israel, which is concerning. Although I will just put a little caveat on all of that. Uh, when I look at Canadian public opinion polls, Ezra, it does give me hope because I don't see uh, the 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 popular mass. I think that overwhelmingly Canadians do support Israel. I think I saw a recent public opinion poll that said over eighty percent of Canadians believe that Israel has a right to defend itself and that Israel is in the right. So, it, you know, despite all the propaganda and all the loud protesters and marches. I don't think that that represents um, a, a majority or, or even a plurality of any generation. You know, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that on the Canadian side. I went deep on that Harvard-Harris poll a few weeks ago that showed exactly what you said. Senior citizens, 95% support Israel, but the the, the cohort that's in school right now, it's 50-50. That's terrifying to me. But I, I want to find some hope. And here's what I know. For example, the dictatorship of Iran has troublemakers in Canada, and they have had for years. They sponsor, for example, Al-Quds Day, which is an anti-Semitic rally, which they have in Toronto all the time. And you can you can spot um, these agents of Iran. They, they dress in a certain way, and they sort of have a look to them. They're sort of parade marshals and organizers. I've seen them do provocative uh, marches through the Jewish community in Toronto in years past. So I think what I see is not, I think you see young people who like to protest anything and protesting for Palestine is cool. I think you say hard left wingers, like I was in London the other day, I'd say about a quarter of the people marching in that big protest were just old labor radicals who, you know, would sign up with anything anti-Western. And, and right now the strong horse is the Palestinian movement. So I think a lot of it is stimulated and, and artificial. But listen, they still did get 100,000 people marching in London. They still did get tens of thousands in in Montreal. I mean, the other day, a, 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 a preacher, Adil Chikawi, was preaching to 10 or 20,000 people in Montreal, preaching death to the... Like he was preaching jihad. I, let me ask you this. Where are all the people who would take a magnifying glass and say, oh, they made the 
OK symbol with their hands. That's a coded form of white supremacy. Oh, those truckers, honk, honk, that stands for Heil Hitler, HH. Like we saw this kind of exquisite phrenology, these tea leaf readers finding, you know, racism in any conservative. You have groups like Canadian Anti-Hate Network who were paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to look for right-wing hate. You have 14 human rights commissions in Canada, one for every province, territory, and the federal government. All of these hate finders, these professional hate finders, have been silent when you have actual swastika flags, actual death to the Jews chants. I'm starting to believe, Candace, that none of them were actually against hate or violence at all. They just were against hate for them, and they used that as a demonization of conservatives. We've got, you know, uh, not quite pogroms in Canada, although they tried to torch a synagogue in Montreal, and all of these groups are silent as a mouse. It's as if they've all gone on vacation. What do you make of the anti-hate industry losing its voice in the most hateful month in Canadian history, probably? Well, Ezra, they've all been completely exposed. I mean, we, we, we can tell that the anti-hate network are nothing but a group of hate hustlers. Uh, you know, they, nothing in their mandate, by the way, says that they are only supposed to look at right-wing extremism. Um, but and yet that's what the, the the lead of that group said on on social media the other day that apparently they only have the uh, mandate and the cash to <laughs> to, to to look at uh, extreme right wing violence, uh, which is why they've remained completely silenced. Well, at least that they're admitting that that the issues here are not on the right; they're on the left and in the Islamist uh, communities. But you know, uh, what good is a government-funded organization uh, that refuses to look at 50% plus of the population in terms of blind eye uh, to truly horrific uh, incidents like, you know, a mosque, or sorry, a synagogue being firebombed, uh, Jewish businesses throughout Toronto being boycotted and harassed and having uh, property damage done against them, you know, people getting assaulted, uh, people getting threatened. There are some real problems happening at these marches. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty uh, I'm, I'm pretty bold and pretty bullish on free speech. I think it's incredibly important. I think that everyone has the right to peaceful protest and to peaceful assembly. Uh, you know, we, we fought and advocated uh, on that when it came to the Freedom Convoy, that, that, yes, these people do have the right to go to Parliament Hill and let their voice be heard. We see it all the time with left-wing protests. We see left-wing sit-ins uh, constantly, and they don't get, to your point, they don't get the kind of scrutiny that the trucker convoy did. You know, we had one anonymous masked provocateur show up with a Nazi flag. From best I can tell, he waved that flag for a good five minutes, uh, long enough to have a couple of people uh, you know, uh, shoot, shoot some photos of him. And all of a sudden, every single trucker, every single person that was supporting that movement was, was smeared as a Nazi. And yet, Ezra, just this past weekend, I saw Nazi swastikas at rallies in Ottawa and Edmonton. And then to your point, we heard uh, explicit calls for, for violence and incitement of, of genocide against Jews uh, by a preacher in Montreal. And, you know, these groups are silent. Not only that, but then you have the sort of moral equivocation and uh, cowardice of, of liberal leaders and progressives saying that we have to condemn hate of all kinds. And, and it's not just anti-Semitism that is a problem, but supposedly it's also Islamophobia. I'm, I'm sorry. I haven't seen huge you know, public uh, 
I haven't seen public attacks against Muslims in the past month. I haven't seen Muslim businesses being harassed and targeted and boycotted. I haven't seen Muslim a report news reports of Muslims getting assaulted on the streets. I haven't seen threats and calls to violence against Muslims like I do against Jews every single day on social media. Every few minutes, there's a new post. Um, you know, even in Windsor, Ontario, in, in even in small communities, we see threats against Jews and against the the state of Israel, and. For some reason, our politicians can't even muster up the courage, Ezra, to condemn anti-Semitism. It's a quite a sad state of affairs on the political left in Canada. You you made a tweet today that was so uh, it said so much in so few words. Let me show it on the screen. You said, "Can someone please explain how condemning quote all forms of hate is any different from saying quote." all lives matter. And that might not ring a bell for folks who are unfamiliar with the Black Lives Matter movement. Black Lives Matter, which really got some steam after some African Americans were were killed in altercations with police, George Floyd, for example. And the black community, or at least a part of the community, would would cry out and say, this is this is anti-black racism, our people are hurting, this is wounding, this is racism. And and we can argue details over cases like George Floyd, but but what they wanted is for people to say, yes, uh, we understand your pain as the black community. And you know, a lot of people, including on the right, would say, look, all lives matter. But I know that some people who were grieving a particular instance that they thought was racist that said, there's a crisis right now involving a black man who was just killed, and you're telling me, no, 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 everything counts the same. I just need you to say for one second that Black Lives Matter. That was the argument. And here, and, and by the way, Justin Trudeau went out in the middle of the pandemic and took a knee on Parliament Hill breaking the anti-gathering rules. He was so dedicated to the Black Lives Matter movement, even though it was an American movement in every way. And so now you have a synagogue being a firebomb thrown into a synagogue in Montreal. You have Jewish restaurants being, you know, Nazi-style boycotts. You have chants for death for the Jews. And Trudeau and all the others cannot say anti-Semitism is wrong, period. They just always append and Islamophobia too and all forms of racism. They just can't say it. And and I think it's to dilute and diminish what's going on. And and there was a there was a Jewish protester for Israel who was murdered in Los Angeles yesterday. He was killed. And and we just you know, I, I and I don't want any Muslims in North America killed. I don't want Muslim business to be boycotted. I don't want Muslim schools to be targeted as Jewish schools have been targeted. But there's something really creepy about political leaders. Justin Trudeau is amongst the worst who will not say, I'm against anti-Semitism, period, when they're asked about a synagogue being torched. Why are they tacking on the Islamophobia part other than to water down and remove the truth of what... We have had a torrent of anti-Semitism over the last month, and I think there's something creepy about politicians who won't acknowledge that. I don't know, maybe I'm being too sensitive. No, I, I think you're right. It's almost become like comical to, to see it. It's like we're, we're seeing an unprecedented level of harassment and targeting of Jewish people in Canada and the United States. 
And it's not just Trudeau, it's 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 liberal politicians across the board, because we saw the same thing from Joe Biden and his pre uh, press secretary, uh, where they immediately went to jumping into uh, condemning Islamophobia. It's like, you know, you, you gave a pretty nuanced description of the all lives matter, black lives matter uh, debate. And, you know, a lot of people just said, of course, a statement, all lives matter is true. We all matter. And let's figure out a way to you know, live together and, and make our society more peaceful. And for the Black Lives Matter activists, they wanted people to recognize that they were feeling attacked and they wanted the slogan, Black Lives Matter. They didn't want it to be co-opted. And I you know, agree with it or disagree with it. That was their point. And not only that, Ezra, but there were a thousand think pieces telling us that it was wrong uh, to say White Lives Matter, that that, that was racist, that that was uh, conflating uh, too many issues, and that it was important just to focus on the Black Lives Matter movement. Okay, so why doesn't that same logic apply? That, that, was, that was the point of that. Why doesn't the same logic apply? When you see when you see Jewish business owners getting targeted for the sin of being Jewish or being from Israel, uh, when you see uh, exactly your point, a man in Los Angeles killed because he was waving an Israeli flag. I mean, this is serious level uh, of Islamophobia or sorry, of, of anti-Semitism. And I, I just don't see that against Muslims. Maybe maybe it's there. Maybe I'm just you know missing it. Uh, maybe there's a lot of hatred online, although uh, I'm, I'm sure you've been the victim of, of uh, unknown, uh, you know, attacks and smears online. Online, I know uh, Gad Sad, who's a Canadian university professor uh, from Lebanon, who's Jewish. He, he's been sharing a lot of the hate that he's receiving. It's pretty gruesome and horrific. The, the kinds of stuff that's being sent to him. So, anyway, it's like, w w why can't leaders just have some moral clarity? Why can't they just say, look, we're dealing with uh, a surge in anti-Semitism that's nothing like we have seen in this country in recent memory. Uh, let's all work together to address that and stop that. Instead, they, they, I think it has to do with with pandering and votes and making sure that they're not alienating uh, the people that they know will vote for them. But uh, it's 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 disappointing, Ezra. And I think that at this moment in time in Canada, it's important for leaders uh, to specifically name the problem, to 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 discuss what it is that we're facing. Mm -hmm. And in this moment in time, um, there's no doubt that anti-Semitism is, I think, the biggest problem in Canada right now. You know, some of my favorite Canadians are Muslims who came here from uh, fascistic Islamic countries have come here to be free. The late Tarek Fatah would be an example. Our friend Raheel Raza, who I think is one of the finest Canadians I've ever met. And I think sometimes you have to come from uh, an authoritarian regime to understand freedom. I think it's a reason why so many of the protesters during the pandemic lockdowns you could hear an Eastern European accent there because they understood authoritarianism. At least it seemed to me that a lot of the people more on guard for our liberty came from a place without it. And um, But I think that so many Canadians and Americans and Brits and Australians, they're not just counting votes because all across the West there are millions of Muslim migrants who vote. But I think even more than the votes, people are afraid of being labeled racist. I don't know if you ever read the report into the Rotherham rape gangs in that city in the UK. Time and time again, social workers, doctors, police, politicians said the reason they didn't blow the whistle on these 1,400 girls who were raped over the course of time is they were afraid of being called racist. It wasn't about a vote or about violence. They were terrified that if they said something, they'd be called racist. That's a very hard way of looking at it. Here's a funny way of looking at it. Let me quote to you a tweet that the late Norm MacDonald, the comedian, made. And, and this is his 
take on being afraid of being called racist, which I think is a lot of it. I think, I think, I think Pierre Polyev is walking a fine line. He's very strong against anti-Semitism. I'm grateful for that. But even he can count. Let me just quote for you a, a joke that the late Norm Macdonald meant that, that's, right, that's a lighter way of putting this. He said, what terrifies me is if ISIS were to detonate a nuclear device and kill 50 million Americans. Imagine the backlash against peaceful Muslims. I mean, that's, that, that's, a, that's a very sardonic, very sarcastic Norm Macdonald kind of joke. But listen, I understand not conflating regular Muslims who want to live, want to be Canadian, and who are appalled by the barbarism. But my God, I, I just think that we're so afraid of call, I mean, there is an Islamist strain here, and it's being whipped up by cultural Marxism. It's being whipped up by foreign entities like the Iranian government, which is very active in undermining us. And I think, frankly, this is the first time in history where foreign entities have had a direct communication link with our domestic population. I'm talking about TikTok. Um, you know, in World War II, you had Axis Sally and Tokyo Rose that were radio hosts in the English language trying to demoralize American troops. And they would say, oh, G.I., Joe, your your girlfriend back home is having an affair on you. Oh, they don't – like it was a way to demoralize soldiers. But now – I mean, I, I'm on both Twitter and TikTok, and I see on TikTok this Amazon River, this Niagara Falls of – anti-Western propaganda. And I've got to think it's related in some way to the fact that TikTok is owned by China. And you've got 100 million Americans, maybe not 100 million, but 50 million Americans, most of them young, taking direct propaganda against America, against American values. It's overwhelmingly pro-China, pro-Russia, uh, and pro-Palestinian. I think that's also a problem. And I'm not necessarily calling for censorship. I don't know what to do. But I think TikTok is pumping ideas directly into kids. And I think that may be a reason why 50% of people, of young people in America are for Hamas. I think, I think that's exactly right. I think that TikTok is a huge problem. And uh, there's a reason I don't keep it on my phone. I don't trust the technology behind it or, or you know, who, who's looking into your data. But I think, I think you're right. If you were to design a politically destabilizing force, uh, it would look something like TikTok and the fact that it's run by an adversarial uh, regime or a company that operates from within. I think that, that that is something that needs to be seriously looked at. I think that, well, you know, one of the things that Islamists do, Ezra, is they use our our, our freedoms against us, right? They, they they come into the West and they sort of drape themselves in the ideas of, of free speech and free association or free uh, assembly. Uh, you know, even, even when the message that they're sending is so uh, antithetical to Western values and, and the core existence of West, I think we face a, a pretty serious existential crisis when it comes to what to do with people who come from you know, it's ironic. They fled Islamist fascist regimes. Uh, they've come to Canada, come to the United States uh, for stability and security and, and the uh, you know opportunities and prosperity that comes with living in a Western country. And yet so many of them in these extreme Islamist circles uh, then turn around and embrace the, the very culture and, 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 and values um, that led to the destabilization of the countries that they fled. You know, it, it truly is a horrific sight to see someone waving the Ayatollah's Iranian flag, uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran's flag in Toronto. I don't think I've 
ever seen that before um, this past weekend. You know, you see a lot of people waving the, the former Shah's flag uh, with the lion, the old, the old, uh, the old Iranian flag. Uh, people celebrating Persian culture and, and history, uh, but I haven't seen that Islamic Republic of Iran flag uh, being waved, and yet there they are, openly, proudly uh, waving the flag of of, of, a, of a horrible dictatorship that's destabilizing uh, the entire Middle East and the entire world. And you know, I think that the West has to to ask themselves some pretty serious questions. I, I tried to raise a lot of these questions, and I know you did too, back when ISIS was reigning over uh, Iraq and and there was terrorist attacks throughout Europe. You know, you had all of these people coming from that exact same region. Remember at the time, Ezra, 10 to 20 percent of the Syrian population supported the caliphate, supported ISIS. Mm -hmm. And the Trudeau government were in such a rush to get these people in. They were skipping security steps. I was reporting uh, on that, how quickly and rushed the program was and how so many people uh, were just getting into Canada to meet a political objective. Uh, well, well, what happens, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road when you've accepted people who at their core fundamentally do not believe in Western liberal democracy, yeah. don't believe in in the freedoms that you and I take for, uh, for granted. I think it creates a pretty scary situation. And now we're stuck in the situation where, you know, I want to defend free speech and I want to defend free assembly. But obviously, I don't think you should be able to incite hatred and violence and genocide. And and it doesn't seem like the Canadian you know, police services or Canadian political leadership class is willing to take that stance to to actually arrest people, people who are not citizens and not permanent residents uh, who break these kind of laws should be deported. And that shouldn't be controversial. It shouldn't be something that's, uh, you know, a huge threat to our, our way of life. It's like, no, if you're here and you don't want to be here and you're showing that you don't want to be here, you have to go. And I don't think that Canada has the stomach to say that. I don't think the political leadership class on any side of the aisle is willing to do that. And, you know, it's it's like a death by a thousand cuts. If, if we turn around and accept, you know, there's there's a report saying that Canada is considering or that there's talk of Canada accepting half a million refugees uh, from Gaza. Well, Ezra, you know very well the, the mindset and the brainwashing uh, that has taken place among this population. Uh, you know, is there going to be any kind of security screening of these folks or any kind of values testing? Probably not. Uh, you know, the same thing with people who uh, perhaps are coming from other uh, Islamic countries that have been displaced refugees. Uh, you know, they're going to come to Canada and we're probably not going to do anything to integrate them. We're probably not going to do anything to screen them. And, you know, you can see how that creates a very a long term uh, a problem in the long term. You know, again, what is Canada going to look like 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now when we continue to have these programs where we let in hundreds of thousands of people from places that have the exact opposite views than us on, on many issues uh, and we try to maintain a liberal democracy? It's it's you know, you, you, you can get pretty pessimistic looking at, at the numbers and thinking about the future of our society. Yeah. I mean, I saw that the immigration minister was musing about taking an enormous number of Afghans who are being kicked out of Pakistan between Gaza and Afghanistan. I mean, we're already at absolute record high levels of immigration, which is a problem for housing reasons and for, for infrastructure reasons. But to take people who are perhaps the least culturally assimilable, we don't even we don't even use the word assimilation anymore. We don't even use the word integration anymore. Like you said, it's DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, which means it's outrageous to ask anyone to Canadianize. That's racist. We have to include them, even if they do not share that underlying commonality. And that's what scares me. It doesn't scare me that we're bringing people to Canada who disagree with me. It scares me that we're bringing people to, and we're growing Canadians in college who love barbarism, who said they were exhilarated 
on on October 7th, we interviewed one young lady on the streets of Mississauga wearing machine gun earrings who said everything Hamas did was justified. Here's a quick clip of that lady. Hamas is not a terrorist group. Oh, it isn't, ma'am. First of all, Hamas is not okay. a terrorist group. Hamas is not a terrorist group. What is it, like a motorcycle club? It is a resistance, or? Is a resistance okay. that has been fuming for 75 years of colonialism, of occupation, of murder, of rape, of little children, of women. That's what they are. They are resistance. Do you think Canada is a colonialist country too? Everything that they do is justified. Well, that was in reaction to the barbarism. But you mentioned you mentioned operatives from Iran. Let me just give you a quick throwback. Here's a video that David Menzies recorded a few years ago. This was before the pandemic. I can tell by the old microphone flash he had for when we called ourselves the Rebel Dot Media, and he was talking to a guy who said, "Look." It's your fault that you haven't integrated me. I refused to say the oath of allegiance um, at my immigration swearing in. It was up to you to make me say it. I didn't. Ha ha. And we are going to bring Sharia law with us. He said all these things. Take a look at this flashback to Al-Quds Day, which again is that Iran-sponsored day of hate in Toronto. Take a look. I have, Like I said, I have met several Muslims okay. who left... Islamic nations and have horror and are horrified and are horrified to see those elements of those countries following them over to Canada and the United States. What would you say to them? Uh, you know, Muslims that want to live a secular lifestyle. You should go to your queen and tell her to change the laws. Change the laws to what, sir? To Sharia law? No, change the laws to, to not allow any more Muslims to come to Canada. Like if you if you are bothered by Muslims, because we we owe our allegiance and our loyalty first and foremost to our religion, not to the queen. Okay. To be honest, when I went for my uh, so-called oath, I was silent. I didn't say anything. Okay. It was your responsibility to make sure you got it out of me. So when I didn't say anything, I'm not I'm not liable to any. I mean, there's a guy on tape saying I did not take my oath to the country, and it was up to you to make sure I did, and I didn't. I mean. I'm with you. I believe in freedom of speech very much. And I think freedom of speech is something you have to support even when you don't like the speech in question. But what if someone has come not has come to colonize us? Speaking of decolonization, what is if if we if we had had a million German Canadians uh, 80 years ago who were positively agitating for Hitler and having Hitler youth rallies and saying boycott you I I don't know I, I, what our grandparents' generation would have done. I think they would have been kicked out. I'm getting a little revved up here. Let me turn it back to you, Candace. I want to maintain my liberalism. I want to maintain my love for freedom of speech, even for speech I don't like. But I think you're right. I think if someone is here breaking not just hate crimes or calls or violence, but supporting terrorism, our criminal code bans facilitating, participating, instructing, or harboring terrorist groups. And I'm not saying these people are instructing or harboring but some of these pro-Hamas rallies are definitely participating or facilitating, and yet we haven't seen a single charge under the, those criminal code provisions in Canada. Don't mind me, I'm ranting. Let me let me get you in on this. Well, do you have any thoughts making, on what I've said? 
Yeah, you're making excellent points, Ezra. And first of all, I want to just praise your uh, reporter there, David Menzies. He goes where no one else goes and gets incredible interviews, have people, you know, tell us what they really think in their own words. And, you know, that really is a skill. And it's, he's doing tremendous uh, work out there. It's terrifying when you when you go to these rallies and you hear what people are saying, not just because it's what they believe, but it's what they are so sure that, that, that they're able to get away with, that they're willing to say it to a reporter holding a camera, knowing that it will go online, knowing that, that that their words can be used against them. But they're so sure of themselves. They're so confident in their beliefs that they're not going to get challenged, that they're not going to have legal consequences, uh, even, even though, to your point, there are laws on the books against this kind of thing. I, again, I think that Canadians need to at some point, it's going to have to happen. We're going to have to have a conversation. We're going to have to look around and say, hey, you know, Canada, yes, Canadians aren't one specific ethnicity or religion or identity. They never have been. Canada's always been a mix of different people. And that's the beauty of Canada. Uh, but what is it that makes a person Canadian? What What is it that makes us Canadian? It, it, if it's not our skin color, if it's not our language, if it's not our religion, what is it? Well, I, I think that Canadians, the thing that holds us together is a core belief in a set of principles, a set of values. And we have to be able to articulate what those values are and make sure that the people coming here are actually embracing these values and that the Canadians being raised in this culture and this society are being taught these values and being taught these norms and being taught about democracy and the rule of law and all of these other things um, that we hold near and dear. Because otherwise, if we don't, if we just continue to say, okay, we're a post-nationalist country, there's no mainstream, there's nothing really here, you know, everyone can just come and do their own thing and you can keep your own religion, you can keep your own uh, culture, you can bring all of the hatred that you had uh, in, in the, some other part of the world and bring those tribal feuds here to Canada and we're not going to say anything because it's racist. I mean, if we continue to have that attitude, Ezra, you know, there's not much holding this country together and as we go into the future, every time there's a, a, a crisis or a conflict in any part of the world, it's going to spill over at home in Canada, it's going to lead uh, to more and more violence on our streets, more and more people bringing those foreign wars and those foreign conflicts to play them out in our streets. You know, I, I think that Canada is in serious need of some leadership, of some moral clarity. I, you know, I, I think Pierre Polyev is a tremendous leader and I, and I see him doing well. And I hope um, that if, you know, he continues on this path, perhaps he's the one that has that moral clarity. But I, I think it's going to take more than just, you know, one politician. I think we need a, a serious wake up call amongst the political class, amongst the, the, the elites in, in universities and newspapers and all across society uh, to say, look, Canada is a pretty great country, and the reason that it's great is for these following reasons. Now, let's do everything we can to protect those things and protect those values to make sure that Canada is still great in 50, 100 years. And, you know, the path that we're going where 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 we're just unwilling to do that, we're afraid of being called racist, we are willing to accept people from all over the world, but we don't want to impose our own ideas or values onto them. Uh, that's a recipe for disaster. We've been seeing it playing out now for decades, and it just gets worse with each conflict. So hopefully people are waking up to that. Hopefully people are seeing that as a reality. I saw a uh, liberal sort of progressive person uh, post on X the other day or Twitter that basically Canadian values mean something and we should be promoting them. Uh, so maybe maybe some liberals and some progressives are waking up to this reality. But, uh, I, you know, I, I think it's going to take a real we need a wake up call, Ezra. Uh, maybe this is it, maybe not. But I, th I think that the, that the reality is we need to celebrate Canadian values and we need to define them and do what we can to make sure that they're being upheld and promoted and respected. 
Well, what a strong ending to our wonderful interview with Candace Malcolm, the founder of True North. Great to see you. Thank you for taking so much time and thank you for sharing your wisdom and your perspective. Before we go, what's the best way for people to be involved with True North? What, what can people do to support your efforts? Well, as I think like everyone in Canadian media, we're being blocked by social media, by the Trudeau government's absurd legislation. So, uh, you know, if you want to engage with True North, sign up for our newsletters, head on over to tnc.news and sign up for newsletters. So our news goes right to your inbox. You don't have to rely on uh, you know social media algorithms or, or the whims of the Trudeau government as to whether or not you can see our news and reporting. Um, you know, you can still definitely find our videos on YouTube and on, on uh, Twitter or X, whatever it's called these days. So uh, there's still lots of ways to engage. We're still doing a lot of work, a lot of journalism. And uh, yeah, we're doing we're doing well. So despite uh, Trudeau's best efforts, I think the same can be said for you over at The Rebel. Despite Trudeau's best efforts, independent media is, is flourishing and we're all doing really well. Right on. Well, congratulations on everything you built and great to catch up with you and uh, keep fighting for freedom, my friend. All right. Thanks. Same to you, Ezra. All right. There you have it. Candace Malcolm. Well, that's our show for the day. Until tomorrow. And by the way, I'll be in Lethbridge, Alberta for a hearing involving some of the Coots truckers. Until then, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And we will keep fighting for freedom. Mm -hmm.